welcome to the Pearson English Podcast, the show in which my panel and I chat to the most interesting and influential people in the field of ELT. I'm your host, Joanna Weisman, and joining me on the panel this month are Richard Cleave. Hello. And Sam Wordsworth. Hello. How's it going? Um, exciting in my household. Kind oh, of. Oh, well, why? <laughs> well, my husband was playing with our youngest child, who is three, and uh, not oldest child, there's three, not the youngest. And uh, there was a little bit of an incident because Teddy, in the whole fun bit, scratched a little bit of skin of uh, my husband's eye. So my husband ended up in a in an A&E wow. with corneal abrasion which means that 25% of his eye has been scratched. And it's one of the most common incidents that uh, parents get when they play with their children. Can he see through his eye? So he's a little bit of a pirate at the moment. So no, he, he can't open his eye. And for three months, he's got to put cream, like antibiotic cream on it. So it's quite severe. That does sound bad. Blimey. Yeah, and it's the, it's the second... Uh, of his visits at A&E in the last two months. What was the first? <laughs> the first one, he was out with the children in the park. Uh, we have lovely children. And he was playing with them in like a tunnel made of branches and bushes. And he hit his head against the branch and he cut his head. So he had to go to A&E because his head was cut and he needed like two or three stitches. Blimey. So why are your, your children trying to injure... Their dad, what's the what's he done to them to warrant this know. continual attack? I think there was too I think they're having too much fun and it's that excitement. I'm putting down to it. That's that's what I believe in, and I'm going with it. That's it. <laughs> well, hopefully this month's podcast won't be as painful. Um anyway, let's let's get on with the show. So as dedicated followers of the podcast may know, I was a teacher before I became an editor. Now, I loved teaching and always wanted to be better at it, but I couldn't afford one of the higher level teaching qualifications and I had no idea what else was available. These days, teacher professional development opportunities seem to be everywhere. So what kind of things are available and what are the pros and cons? Here to help us answer that are not one, but two experienced teacher trainers, Mike Hogan and Chia Swan Chong. Mike, Chia, welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Thanks a lot for having us here. Hi. Uh, so first things first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how long have you been teacher trainers and how did you get into it? Uh, hi, thanks, Joanna. Well, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I'm, I'm Mike Hogan. I'm, I'm Irish, uh, but I now live in England. I've been here for about seven years. Before that, I was living and teaching in Germany for about 15 years. Um, and I got into teacher training, I think, the way many of us might have is through sharing sharing my teaching and lesson ideas with my teacher colleagues in the staff room of the place that I worked in in Germany, um, you know, and kind of just sharing teaching ideas with them, and 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 then being asked, could I do it on a slightly wider scale? And so then I got involved in speaking at conferences, and then I got involved in designing teacher training courses, and kind of became a teacher that way, or a teacher trainer that way rather, and that was about. Uh, 13, 14 years ago. Chia, how about you? Well, um, 
slightly different route from you. So my name is Chia Suan Chong. Uh, I am. Um, I was born in Singapore, and uh, I became a teacher when I came to England um, about twenty-one years ago. And I started teaching at International House London, where you know there, there's a real culture of teacher training there. You know, um, International House London was the the school where the CELTA was uh, first born, um, and so I became a CELTA tutor and a Erasmus Plus tutor and a Cert IBET tutor when I was at International House London. Uh, did a lot of formal, you know, face-to-face -face courses when I was there. And so when I became freelance, teacher training became a bit like, you know, it came naturally to me. Um, I kind of moved on into teacher training online um, and also developing a lot of teacher training materials and courses. And that's my background. So why is teacher professional development so important? You know, have you heard of that wonderful Penny uh, quote um, that says something like, um, there are two types of teachers with 20 years teaching experience. The first type is those with 20 years teaching experience. And the second is those with one year teaching experience repeated 20 times. And I think that is a wonderful um, illustration of why teacher development is so important. Because, you know, we all want to be that teacher with 20 years teaching experience and not just be repeating the same thing every year, year in, year out. I had a friend who said to me, right, she said, doctors, IT professionals, engineers, they, they all constantly seek professional development, you know, new innovations are happening. Research in the industry is constantly happening. The world is changing. Customer needs, client needs, th those are changing. And so if, if, if the engineers, the IT professionals, the doctors don't keep on top of what's latest in the industry, they're going to fall behind. They're not going to be effective at what they do. And, and why should teachers be any different? Research into how languages are learned is always happening. The world is changing. The way English is being used by our students is changing. The needs of our students are changing. Those expectations are changing. And so if we teachers don't keep up, then we're not going to fully understand what our students really need. And so we, we won't be effective in our teaching and what we do. On that, it's just very interesting what you said about how things have changed. Um, I was just wondering, what sort of changes have you seen um, as far as trends in, 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 in teacher development? Uh, well, I mean, in terms of teacher development, I, I jump in and say big trends that we've seen um, is is the kind of the mode of delivery of teacher training as well. So there's there's a lot of online opportunities now. There's a lot of bite sized teacher development opportunities. So it doesn't have to be you know a, a big in depth, extensive academic based course of some kind. People's um, attention spans uh, are getting shorter and they want to learn things quickly and they want it now, don't well, they? That, well, that's it. I mean, I think that's that's a, that's maybe as a direct result of, of the, the mobile phone generation that we all are part of now is that we expect kind of pretty instant, um, you know, instant knowledge access. You know, when we want to try and find something out online, uh, we tend to just pick up our phone and look for it. And so... Uh, that's maybe also translated into changes in teacher development. Teachers want to be able to take what they're learning and apply it straight away. Uh, so kind of that that transfer from teacher teacher development content into actual classroom practice, I think, has been a, a big change that we've seen in recent years. 
I think what's also really interesting is is this this idea that I mean in, in English language teaching we've always said oh you know increase student talking time students need to speak English in order to learn English you know let them have the floor don't lecture them but we're seeing this not just in English language teaching now you're seeing we're seeing this in other other areas of education where the flipped classroom is becoming more and more common students are given communicative tasks they, they they're told to get on with it and 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 you know the, the the lecture style input happens at home and when they do come to class they use that time to interact and collaborate with their classmates and so this has become even more important in english language teaching and i think that's that's really an area where students expectations are changing they don't want to be lectured at yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think in terms of teachers adapting to those changing expectations of students um, is really important. But then also thinking, well, how how does that translate to teacher development itself as well? So mirroring students wanting to maybe do the input in in maybe more self reflective ways, and then do the actual practice when they're around their peers. We're kind of seeing teacher development courses doing something similar as well, where the where the input for the teacher may be done in smaller groups or kind of on their own and then actually the, the 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 application of that practice is then what happens in the real life sessions let's say or real life teaching whether that's led by a teacher trainer or self-led by um by the teacher in their own teaching context okay well we've mentioned um courses a lot here but let's let's just go back to basics if i'm a teacher and i want to develop my skills what formal qualifications are available above and beyond you know celta and tesol that kind of thing well, you mentioned CELTA, um, which is your sort of a basic level level five qualification for teachers. Um, after the CELTA, there are many sort of more traditional qualifications available, like, you know, if you want to do a diploma, uh, the Delta, for example, uh, which is a level seven qualification. Um, you, you have options, even with the Delta, to do it intensively face to face or to do it distance over a longer period of time. I did my Delta distance many 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 years ago and and what i loved about the distance experience actually which which can be compared in a way to the online course experience is that in between the input in between the different topics i had that space and time to actually apply what i was learning into my real lessons with my real students in my real classes and, and to adapt what I learn and make it relevant for my teaching context. And I think that was the part of the Delta, the distance Delta that I enjoyed most. And I mean, I think about online classes today, I think about, you know, that aspect of how, you know, how are they allowing teachers to, to, to have that space to apply it to their real teaching context. So that's that's the Delta. Um, I also did a master's in applied linguistic and in, linguistics and ELT. Um, and there are lots of MAs with different specializations, whether it be, you know, materials writing or, or just general ELT. Um, and then there are qualifications for teachers who want to specialize, say, in business English teaching, like the CERT IBET, or courses for teachers of young learners. Um, so these are your traditional qualifications. Uh, cool. Thanks, Chia. So, so just to kind of to build on that, you mentioned the CELTA being a level five qualification. So that's that's um, you know run and organised or accredited by uh, by by Cambridge. People often refer to um, the um, the TESOL certificate as well. So this is by Trinity, and both of these are pegged at level five. So they're seen as entry level qualifications for teachers. The Delta, the diploma that you mentioned, um, which you did, or the, the Trinity diploma, which was the one that I did, uh, also distance, they are at level seven in terms of qualification rankings, uh, as is a master's. Now, 
what's what's missing and what's new, which is really interesting, is the level six in the middle. So um, Trinity have just recently kind of launched their new uh, program called the Cert PT, the Certificate for Practicing Teachers, which is at level six. And and what that is is it's not as in-depth focused or potentially not as academic as some of the level seven qualifications and as the name as the name gives away the cert pt it's for practicing teachers so it's really about applying what you've been learning on that course into your own teaching practice um so i suppose to come back to your to your question there sam um in terms of qualifications beyond the level five CELTA or, or TESOL certificate levels, we've got level six and we've got level seven. I find that really useful because when I was a CELTA tutor, um, a lot of my, uh, you get a lot of trainees who might be, for example, looking to enter teaching for the first time, but you also get trainees, CELTA trainees who are actually experienced teachers. Um, I remember having this group of um, teachers from Turkey and they were very qualified. They had a bachelor degree in teaching English. They have ex they had experience in teaching English. They just wanted, you know, a different qualification. So they came and they decided to do a level five CELTA qualification which you know to be honest it was it was fun they, they thought it was fun and enjoyable but i felt like they were sort of above a level five yet you know they didn't feel like they wanted to do a diploma or a, or a master's and and that's where i thought there was this gap missing and, and and i thought the when 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 trinity um came up with the cert pt it was really exciting for me and you to develop the pearson eltd uh, online course that that leads to teachers getting this level six qualification because I really felt like there was like this huge gap in mm. the market. So um, just to play devil's advocate, obviously courses like this, formal qualifications are pretty expensive. They take up a lot of time. So what are the main benefits of it? Why should someone do these courses? Uh, well, I'll, I'll jump in, I suppose, just to pick up on what Chia said earlier on about, you know, lifelong learning and developing your teaching practice and not just doing the same thing every year for 20 years. You know, if we as teachers advocate a, a, a philosophy of lifelong learning for our learners, learning never stops. You can always become a better communicator. You can always become a better language user. The same logic should apply to us as teachers as well. Teaching, learning how to teach should never stop. You can always deepen the knowledge that you have in the subjects that you have, have knowledge on, but you can also widen that level of expertise because as teaching methodology advances and changes, as the world around us, technology, learner expectations, as all of these are changing, what we can also see is the teachers that don't continually learn and adapt and, and improve and become better may be the ones that get left behind by their peers who are doing that. So that's one compelling reason, I think, to just always wake up in the morning and think, how can I do better this week or this month? That's the the personal side, yeah. the sort of, uh, you know, feeling feeling like you've achieved the, something within yourself side of things. The intrinsic motivation. The intrinsic bit. motivation. There's also the extrinsic motivation of career development, of course. Um, I read this wonderful book by Carl Newport called so good they can't ignore you i love the title so good they can't ignore you and the whole idea is to become so good at what you do that you know your bosses your dosses the people around you 
the publishers, they just can't ignore you because you're so good at what you do. And how do you become so good at what you do? You work really hard at it. You put in hours and hours of practice. And that's the kind of things we tell our students. The more you practice, the better you get at, te uh, teaching, at, at speaking English. But the same should go for teachers. The more you work hard and develop, the better you get at it. And then you become so good that people around you can't ignore you anymore and then you develop your career and I think that's the extrinsic motivation of it all. Absolutely and I love that thing that you've both mentioned a few times now that um, of kind of helping you avoid fatigue as a teacher you know that you are doing mm. it for years and years and years and you're teaching the same grammar points the same language things again and again and you know you, sometimes you can feel like you're opening the book and oh, I've got to teach present perfect again <laughs> How am I going to do this? How can I do this? How can I face this? You know, so I like the idea that it's sort of a way to actually give yourself, uh, keep you interested, keep you motivated in what you're doing mm. and your craft. Mike had this really interesting way of framing teacher development. You were talking when we were developing the ELTD, you said, you know, it's about deepening, but mm. also expanding the teacher's skills and knowledge. And I really, really like that, that, that framework of deepening and expanding. So on one hand, we're deepening our knowledge when we develop by learning more about what we already know about. So learning more about how to manage a class, learning more about student motivation, learning more about other approaches to teaching the present perfect, for example, but also expanding their knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So, so when we think about expanding knowledge, there are, you know, there are many many kind of elements around teaching that maybe are coming new into the classroom. So when we look at, at you know, external kind of forces, let's say the, the UN has created their 17 sustainability goals. Um, the World Economic Forum has pegged what they feel the future of work skills in the next five years are going to be. And a lot of those things like, like critical thinking ability, teamwork, collaboration, socio-emotional skills, uh, looking at topics around well-being and mindfulness. All of these are topics that might not traditionally have found their ways into, you know, teacher training courses or entry-level teacher training courses. And so this is another reason uh, to continually develop yourself. Is So in addition to deepening your knowledge that Chi was just speaking about, what I'm speaking about here is expanding your teaching knowledge into new areas that you might not have necessarily brought into, into the classroom in the past. I think an example of this is how the CAFR, the Common mm. European Framework, um, ha has in in introduced the mode of mediation into their descriptors to describe language ability. And mediation is all about communication skills, you know, the ability to manage an interaction, intercultural skills, um, you know, dealing with different cultures sensitively. And those descriptors weren't there before. And the fact that that's been introduced um, really shows us how, you know, our perception of what makes a good language user, what makes a good English speaker is continuously changing. And so we have to adapt to that. And that's a really interesting point you've just made there about the whole intercultural skills and the mediation side of things. Is that there, there might be listeners out there who kind of think, well, I'm an English teacher, I'm not an intercultural skills teacher. But if we acknowledge the fact that we are teaching our learners to communicate in a language which is not their first language, so that's why we're teaching them English, that they are going to be communicating with people who don't speak their first language. Therefore, they're going to be communicating with people who come from a different cultural background from theirs, who may have a different norm around how they actually communicate. Uh, for example, um, how direct or indirect they are, or how focused they are 
on building relationship with the other person rather than getting the task done, achieving the successful communication. And so I think in the example of, of, of culture, culture and language are inextricable from each other. You cannot communicate in another language without, without involving another level of culture in some way. And so these, these are like examples of how the CEFR have adapted to fit those perspectives of teaching and of communicating to build in things like uh, sensitivity around communication styles or even relationship building or even things like influencing. How do I influence you in my first language versus how I might need to do it in, a, in, in English when English is your first language or maybe we're communicating in English as a lingua franca. So English isn't your first language either. And I'm trying to convince you to do something. Do I use my norms, your norms, some kind of centered English language norms? And so this is where it starts to get a little bit fuzzy. And this is where teachers can really expand their teaching knowledge by thinking about what else does it mean to communicate beyond using grammar and vocabulary and things like that? Yeah, I think to teachers who say, you know, oh, do I have to learn new things now, like intercultural skills? Why should that be my job? You know, my job to teach grammar and lexis. Um, this is actually not really a new concept. If you go back to 1980, when we were discussing Del Himes and the concept of communicative competence, right? Our, our, our teacher's job, the teacher's job is to help learners become more competent in their communication. And if you look at the definition of communication, communicative competence expanded by Connell and Swain, they talk about communicative competence in four different ways. One is linguistic competence, which is your grammar and lexis, but it doesn't end there. This is back in 1980. They're already talking about sociolinguistic competence, the ability to know what's appropriate in what context with what conversation partner, you know, adapting what you say to the people you're speaking to. They're also talking about discourse competence, how to make what you're saying coherent, cohesive, and strategic competence, competence how to manage interactions, take turns appropriately, you know, say it's pro problem solve when you see communication problems. So all these things were, were, were mentioned and talked about, you know, extensively since 1980. But I think now we're starting to see that these are becoming more and more important, that we really need to go beyond just teaching the present perfect and actually really help our learners become good communicators in the English language? Uh, I think it's all very, uh, there was quite a lot for, for teachers to get on, on with. So if we want to guide them a little bit, uh, what um, informal options are there for um, T, uh, TPD, uh, where teachers can go? Brilliant. Well, I, th I think informally, the first place is your peers and your colleagues. So thinking back to, to, to myself as well and my own um, teacher trainer journey as well is, you know, teachers can use their peers and colleagues to talk about teaching, basically talk about how your lessons went this week, talk about, um, you know, a particular challenge you might be facing in a classroom around uh, classroom management or a particular subject or topic or something you want to learn more about. So basically, you're not alone as a teacher. You have peers and colleagues. And even if you are an independent freelance teacher and you don't have a staff room, there are lots of teacher groups and associations out there that you can you can network with, you can um, connect with to just reflect on what you're doing, reflect on what they're doing, share teaching ideas, that sort of thing. I mean, the great thing about social media is that, you know, you've got lots of these professional groups sprouting out everywhere. Some of them belong to certain local communities. Some of them are more international. 
And most people who participate in such groups are usually quite supportive. You know, teachers are a supportive bunch of people. Um, and I think, you know, it's great to be able to um, banter and, and, and discuss things and, and, you know, pick their brains on, on certain topics and, and, and develop through, you know, interacting with other teachers internationally that way and if, if social media is your thing um the other option of course is is that you know there are lots of free webinars um and you know podcasts available for english language teachers these days and and you just have to kind of you know look around online to find them um so you know if if, if we don't want a formal course that that involves you know a large investment of our time we could always spend five minutes before going to bed, you know, just listening to a podcast like this one mm -hmm. <laughs> or or attending a, a free webinar. There, there are also recordings of webinars. So if you can't attend it live, you could always watch a recording on YouTube, for example. And, I, and just to jump in, I think in, in those contexts, a key question teachers can ask themselves if they have seen a webinar or listened to a, a, a podcast or something like that, when it's over, rather than just going about their business, is to actually just ask themselves, so what? Mm. So what? What now? What now? Exactly. So basically, that was a nice thing to listen to. That was a nice thing to participate in or a nice webinar to watch. But what now? What am I going to do with what I have just heard or listened to, maybe in concrete terms? What am I going to try out next week? Or what am I going to do a little bit of online research in to find a little bit more about? So I think it's really important to just you know, ask yourself this so what question after you've had an informal contact with some kind of um, TPD. A lot of um, language institutions or language schools have like a teacher development day every week. When I was at International House London, it was always Wednesdays at lunchtime. All the teachers would sit together in their rooms with their sandwiches um, and, and one teacher would lead the session um, and, and share what they've learned that week or what they've learned at the conference they attended or webinar they've attended. And we would discuss and, and, and just learn from each other. And I think that's just a great system to have in place. So if, you, if you're listening and you are a director of studies or a, a, an education manager, you know, and you don't have such a system and places might be something worth considering. It just gives um, that sharing of information around the staff room a bit more structure. Absolutely. And if, if you, you know, again, yes, any schools out there, if you can do that, if you can give teachers time, paid time to um, develop their skills and, um, you know, sit around and share ideas. I loved that bit. You know, anytime that another teacher showed me something that they'd done in class that they thought really worked really well. And as you said, I could apply that immediately. I could just go the next day or the, the next lesson, go and try that out myself. That was the most useful thing. So I, I love that idea of, you know, not only doing it nor watching programs or conferences, things like that, or talking to people, but actually working out how tangibly to then apply that to your own practice. I think it's, it's, it's great. Just to add to that, there was this other thing that we used to do, or they probably still do at International House London, um, which is this open door policy. Um, teachers who didn't mind other people, other teachers, colleagues strolling into their classes and, you know, watching what they do would put their name up on the open door board. There was a notice board and teachers could just put the name up there, which meant that um, anyone 
you know, whether a director or manager or other teachers could just walk in in their free time and observe what other teachers are doing. And I think one of the best ways to learn from is to learn from your colleagues and, and everyone has a slightly different style, a different approach to teaching. And, you know, the best way to develop is to steal ideas from each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and the idea that you do that in uh, not such a sort of formal stuffy way, you know, quite often those classroom observations, you were told right next week, on Friday, this person's going to come and watch your class. And I always found it a bit synthetic, you know, because you obviously would then spend lots of time preparing that class and making sure it was fantastic and that everything was done properly. But actually, that's not reflective of your everyday practice. And actually, you might be doing lots of great things every day, but that weren't captured in that. So I love that idea that you could just walk in uh, and get something from, from, from it. Um, that is so, so true. <laughs> now, um, to, to sort of round up the, our conversation then, um, big question, obviously, but um, from all your teacher training and, and course writing and all of that, what's one thing you think that all teachers could do right away to improve their teaching practice? Mm. Um, I, I might have touched on it earlier on before. I think it's awareness that, that learning never stops. So learning to become a better teacher never stops. There's always something you can do to improve. So I'd say the one thing that all teachers can do is to try and create a habit of reflection. So, um, you know, a habit can be formed after you've done something five or six times. So get into the habit of at the end of every teaching session that you've delivered or lesson or whatever it might be, before you hop to the next one, if possible, just take five minutes, make a couple of notes, what went well? How could I make it even better? Mm. Or what would I do differently next time? And that doesn't imply that the lesson did not go well. The lesson could have gone really, really well, but there's always room to make something even better. So it would have been even better if I did this thing. And just make that little note and getting into the habit of doing that will, I think, help teachers become better teachers, but also help them develop this kind of awareness and habit of, of continuous learning and continuous development is what makes us even better all the time. I think one of the greatest things, the thing that makes me most passionate about being in the ELT industry is the fact that there's always something new to learn. There's always somewhere you can go. There's something you can do to improve. You know, even if you think, I know everything there is to know about teacher training. You know, do you know enough about education management, for example? Do you know, um, you know, about, about the different courses, the different levels of teacher training? Th there's just so much. There's business English training. There's ESP. There's, you know, mindfulness. There's so much to learn and, and I just love that we are in an industry where the learning never stops and, and I hope you know everyone out there embraces that with passion as well. I do I do I, I do hope that our listeners will get that element of passion that you just presented. <laughs> that's, very, that's very inspiring. Oh, <laughs> and, thank you. <laughs> and um, speaking about uh, teachers we are moving now to our QA se section the part where you, our listeners, uh, get to grill our guests. So first up this month is Felix in Sweden who asks, now that a lot of teaching has gone online, do we need a new qualification for teaching online? This is a tricky question because I think there are lots of similarities between 
online teaching and face-to-face teaching. And, and, and there are a lot of activities that we do, you know, like information gap activities mm. that we do in a face-to-face classroom. And we, we, we get students to sit back to back and give information to each other. That activity actually translates amazingly well online. You put students in breakout rooms and guess what? They don't even have to sit back to back. They can't see each other. I mean, on camera they can, but, (laughs) you know, so information gap activities, for example, work really well online. There are wonderful activities and, and, and classroom management strategies that you already use. Like, for example, you establish class rules at the beginning of a course when you're face to face. And that shouldn't be any different when you're teaching online, except that perhaps the class rules online might differ slightly you might talk about you know when do we know it's our turn to speak and 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 do we do we raise our hand you know like our physical hand or do we click on the raise hand icon you know you might need to for example check your students ability to use the different features of the platform you're using can they share their screen can they type in the chat box that sort of thing but Essentially, the, the, the foundation of it all, the fact that you need to establish ground rules at the start of a course, um, the fact that you've got to get students communicating, even if you're online, you still have to engage them, you still have to get them interacting and not just be lecturing them on, on the present perfect. We like the present perfect today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the, the basics are there and they are similar to face-to-face teaching. What's different is how that translates into the virtual environment, uh, whether it be synchronous or asynchronous. And so there are courses out there that can help you do that to, to translate what you already know about teaching into that virtual environment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I suppose building on what Chia said, you know, if, if, if you're an experienced teacher, you can, you can, or you have been teaching before, you can bring a lot of that teaching knowledge with you from what might have been a face-to-face environment into an online environment. And then it's maybe about just quickly learning the, the, the particular platform features of the one that you happen to be using. So some people use, I don't know, Zoom, others use Skype or Microsoft Teams or whatever it might be. Um, you know, what, what I say when I'm doing teacher training around around using technology in, in courses is to compare it a little bit like to a mobile phone or to a car in that all the different brands of mobile phone are probably 90, 90% the same as each other anyway in terms of all their functionalities and features and things like that. The same with cars. If you can drive one car, you can kind of drive any other car. They just mm. feel a little, well, they feel a little <laughs> bit different in size and shape. Maybe but, you can. <laughs> but the, ba- no, the, ba- the basics, the basics are the same. And so what I'm also saying to teachers is don't be afraid uh, or, or concerned about teaching online on across maybe different platforms or platforms you might not be familiar with because if you've done it before on one platform, you probably already know 90 or 95% of how to make it work on the other platform. Good, but I mean, so it's nice to know that, that the basics are still the same. It's just how you apply that online and the mechanics, even if you haven't used any of the programs before, are pretty simple to learn, aren't they? So it's just about how you translate mm. that. That's, that's probably reassuring, I think, for a lot of listeners. Um, now, next is uh, Julia from Italy, who wants to know, what should I look for when deciding which formal qualification to choose? Um, so that's a good question. I mean, if we're working off the assumption that people are looking for formal qualifications, not only to get the piece of paper, per se, but but actually to become a better teacher, then I'd say look for the content and look for the outcomes. You know, at the end of the day, even our learners, um, you know, are, are learning English not, not to know more vocabulary or not to know, know more, more grammar, 
but for the outcomes of being better communicators in the context in which they need to communicate. The same with teacher training. When you're looking for um, for formal qualifications, think about what is the outcome of doing this qualification over another one going to be for me as the teacher? How is it going to make me a better teacher, more confident, more skilled? Um, is it going to have a lot of focus on active teaching practice or maybe more focus on academic theory and grounding? Um, and, and maybe even kind of couple it with a little bit of an idea of career development. Where do I want to go from this afterwards? Do I maybe want to get into materials writing and developing? Do I maybe want to think of getting into educational management? Am I not interested in any of those things? I want to stay teaching, but I want to be a much better teacher. So I would say when looking for a formal qualification is look at what it's going to give you and what the outcomes are going to be on one hand. On the other hand, different accrediting bodies uh, will carry different weight in different countries and parts of the world and different teaching contexts. And so, um, you know, depending on how popular or well-known a particular accrediting body might be in your part of the world, if you're listening, then that might be a a criteria from which to base your decision if you're looking at different programs that will each give you the outcomes you're looking for. Then maybe you look at who's accrediting it. I think outcomes is a great way to look at it. Like, you know, what what do I want to do with this piece of paper at the end of the course? But also, actually, um, the course itself, I think it's really important to consider as well. Like, you know, we talk about students' needs and how we can tailor our teaching you know, styles, approaches to their needs. I think in, in the case of teacher development, we've got to consider our own needs. How much time do I have? Mm. How tolerant am I of, you know, long, intensive sessions of teacher training? Do I want five minute, 20 minute, you know, lessons? Or am I the sort of person who enjoys sitting there listening to a lecture for two hours? Um, you know, what, what, what kind of flexibility do I have with travel? I know now, you know, a lot of people don't have as much flexibility, but as that opens up a bit more, you know, are we thinking of an intensive course where we have to fly to a different country and stay there for a month to do the course? Or are we thinking of something that's, um, you know, more like my experience with the distance data, where we could stretch it out a bit, apply what we're learning as we go along to our real teaching teaching contacts. Um, I think only you, the teacher yourself, can answer that question. And you've got to kind of really understand your own needs and you understand how much patience you have for um, the length, different lengths of mm. teacher training courses and, and, and then find a course that really suits your needs. Brilliant, brilliant. No, so, so it's about balancing the format with the outcomes you're going to get from that course. Absolutely, exactly, yeah. So that really takes us the element of... Um, of uh, what I want to do next uh, into our last question in this section. Um, it's Ivan from Spain uh, who asks, what kind of careers are available beyond teaching? Okay, thanks, Ivan. I'll, I'll jump in on that one. It picks up on something I kind of mentioned a moment ago as well. Is there, there are many different routes that you could go um, beyond teaching. Um, me, for example, I got into writing and publishing because I was sharing my um, my lesson plan and lesson content ideas with my peers uh, first in the school that I worked for, then at some conferences, then got speaking to publishers and then got involved in writing uh, teaching content for teachers and then ultimately course books for students as well. So you could go down the materials development route. You could go down the teacher training route, which we've discussed already as well. 
you could go into the academic management side of things. So uh, that might begin also through mentoring other teachers, but then also maybe getting involved in things like timetable management, uh, supporting your director of studies, maybe like as a an ADOS, an assistant director of studies. And then that's a, that's a different track that goes off into the the educational management side of things. Then there's the assessment and qualification side of things where mm -hmm. you could become an examiner, like an IELTS examiner or a CELTA assessor, where you go around assessing other people's CELTA courses or Delta courses or, you know, teacher training courses. Um, there's just so much you can do. Mm. You can become a specialist mm. and specialize in young learners or business English training. You could become a language coach. You could become a communication skills trainer like myself and Mike or, or an intercultural skills trainer and go in the direction of corporate training, leadership and management training. There is just so much you can do. <laughs> and I just love those opportunities given to us. Yeah. And I'd say don't feel like you have to hone in on any one of those. Um, you know, I... <laughs> I love variety in, in that sense. And you so as, as Chia mentioned, I do, I do leadership and team development training and communication skills training for the corporate sector. I also write course content, um, ELT course books and materials. I do teacher training. So, so, you know, you can also create a bit of a patchwork for yourself based on your own needs and interests. And I think that's also one of the big changes we've seen in the last 10 or 15 years, not only in the teaching sector, but I think globally just in the world of work is that there are more people that are kind of piecing together the different elements of work that they want to do um, and have the flexibility that they want to have yeah or yeah. if you so, talk, so it depends yeah or if you uh, like talking as uh, as much as i do you can go into marketing from teaching <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. There's that there's that or or as Sam mentioned earlier on as well, before he kind of switched into his current role he was teaching. So there's lots of different routes that you can take. Or you could be um, you know, have your own podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's been uh it's been great chatting to you both. Um and thanks I for hope, having us. Uh, yeah, thanks. No, so it's. I just hope uh, that uh, really our listeners will will uh, take a few uh, tips and suggestions and reflect on them and apply them into their uh, lives. Uh, so, Mike and Chia, thank you so much for coming on the show. And where thank can you. people find you online? Well, Mike and I are both on LinkedIn, so yep. just search for our names, Mike Hogan or Cheers One Chong. Um, I'm on Twitter at Cheers One yep. or Instagram, Cheers One Chong. Yeah, I'm on Twitter too, Irish Mike H. <laughs> we do a lot of social media. I think we yeah. do too much social media. <laughs> yeah, but, link, but link, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a really good place to connect. Uh, if anyone wants to just connect with us there, we post, we post things on LinkedIn about all the sorts of topics we've been speaking about today. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, all right. Uh, thank you uh, as well to my uh, lovely panelists, Sam and Richard. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and of course, thank you for listening. For questions, suggestions or any other feedback, please email us at pearsonenglish at pearson.com or visit our Facebook page, Pearson English. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And until next month, this is the Pearson English Podcast. Bye.